Servus and welcome to another episode of the Pro Hockey Pod, episode 16. Uh, this week, changing it up a little. So normally I've had on, you know, players, former players who now got into coaching. This time around, I wanted to take a look at another side of the the sports atmosphere, the sports side of it. And we're going to go into the the agency world. So this week we have on actually my agent, uh, someone I've been working with for the past three to four years. Uh, not just an agent, but also a friend, uh, someone I've looked for for advice, career uh, aspirations, and everything that comes with it. So I thought it was a good time to to bring him on, share his journey, and also share what he's learned along the way and and how he's worked his way up in the agency business, especially in Europe. Welcome to the podcast, Peter Meyer. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks for having me, and it's a pleasure to be with you. Glad to have you here as well. Um, so we always start off, we take it right back to the roots. So I believe you were born in, in Regensburg, Germany. Is that where you like grew up, spent most of your childhood, or were you in other parts of Germany? No, I was born in Regensburg uh, actually 50 years ago now. Um, uh, grew up in Regensburg, lived most of the time in Regensburg, and now I'm a little bit outside of the town, but still in the same area, and it's still my, my hometown. And how did you get like involved with hockey like how did how did the sport catch your eye because especially with uh you know a lot of germans i would say you know it's not the first sport obviously uh football as they say in europe or as we say in north america soccer like that's normally the first sport that catches uh, a lot of people's eye yeah that's that's correct and uh, as a young uh, boy i was playing football like every boy in germany uh did uh, but i was also getting into hockey as a fan a lot of my friends have been watching the the games of the the Regensburg Eva uh, Ea. It was uh, called that days, and I think I saw my first game by the age of eleven. Uh, yeah, I, I saw my first game, and since then I'm a hockey fan and uh, watched you know my whole life uh, hockey games. Did you ever uh, try playing growing up? You know, maybe just like as a no, no, right away. No, That's... <laughs> no unfortunately not. Um, we had skating in, in school, you know, as part of sports. But then as a young boy, I was watching a, a, an accident on ice with a lot of blood and stuff like that. So I was never interested to get back on the ice and said, OK, this is probably not the surface I, I feel comfortable with. So right then and there, you were like, I'll stick to grass. I'll stick to just using my feet, which I mean, uh, can understand that. A little bit safer. Yeah, and I can understand it back then too, especially like it's the game has obviously come a long way in terms of safety, uh, different styles of equipment. I mean, there's been some famous incidents, especially in North America, of guys losing some teeth, losing some blood. But uh, I'm happy that you still found a passion for at least watching the sport. And you talked about Regensburg, so EVL or EFL, as they say in German, the local team. Was that team always? kind of in the second league when you were growing up or were they going up and down like how was the team back then uh well honestly i think it was mostly in third division i mean over the last almost 40 years now the names and the structures of leagues have been uh changing quite a few times uh but mostly i would say third and second division sometimes what you now say overleague as third division was a second division uh, years ago but i would say mostly second and and third division and then with that passion, you know, as you said, you never got into playing hockey. You're just a fan from the outside. And I know you started before getting 
you know, into the agency business, you actually went to school and I believe you were, you were a banker for about 10 years. Yeah, that's correct. So what made you, you know, when you're picking a major and, you know, when you're going to university, what made you get into the, the banking aspect of it or the economic side of it? Well, I was always when I when I when I finished school, I didn't really know what to do. I thought, okay, to do something with money is is a great idea. That's why I got into banking, and I said, okay, that could be a good start. I never really thought about you know this will be my business for a lifetime, but I said, okay, it's a good starting point, and and banking was a well respected job uh, uh, thirty years ago. That has also changed a little bit now, but uh, basically it was well respected. It was a great starting point because it would open a lot of doors, either banking, either um, you know all kind of financing, all kind of of businesses uh, I could go for, and that's why I decided to go into the banking business. You were also, I believe, I read that you were like an insurance specialist as well, correct? Yes, that happened afterwards. I started in the banking industry and, you know, the industry has changed a little bit and I was employed uh, by the bank and I was always a little bit more a freelancer or, you know, I was not the, the best employee, let's put it this way. Uh, and then I was also getting into insurance business where I work as a freelancer and, and um, that was more my my way of working. I like working, I like making money, but I don't like to be told every day what to do and what not to do. So the next big question, I guess I would say is, how did the transition to the, the agency world happen? Like at what point in your in your life, as you said, you were working in banking, also doing insurance uh, on the side a little bit, like where where did that point in your life go? Okay, I want to completely do something different here. It happened as many things in life happen. I would say by accident. Um, I was I was friends with a lot of players from the local team, and you know we we hang out together, and they always ask me for support about you know taxes, the insurance stuff, and you know where can I go? Where's the next grocery store in that uh, town? Uh, where are the good restaurants? So I helped a lot of those guys with you know services or just favors, whatever you want to say. And uh, 20 years ago, you didn't have uh, many agents in the business. So that was kind of a new business. And uh, a young player asked me, hey, Peter, you do a lot of things for me already, like, you know, taxing, uh, um, insurance stuff. Uh, you help me with a lot of things. Uh, could you also take care of my of my contracts? And I said, you know, I don't know if I can, but I can try. And yeah, that was basically the starting point. And then obviously from from there you started uh your own company which is called Sportagon. And how did that come about? Like was that something you kind of went in alone on or did you have maybe another partner or two that you came together and said, "Hey, I think we could really do something here in this market?" There was a sport management company called Sportagon actually in town. They have been the the company doing the local uh, baseball team. Um, so there was already that company and that brand, so it's not mine. Uh, and I decided not to do everything by myself right at the beginning. I thought it's probably better to have experienced people around, sports lawyers, and you know all that kind of back office and services have been established already. Mm -hmm. And I was just doing the hockey department. Uh, you can you can say for Sportagon, and then over the years they transitioned to 
the baseball organization and I kept Sportagon. I also kept the name and the logo Sportagon and used that as my hockey brand. Well, that led, that leads me to a curious question, like baseball in Germany. So for me, this is, you know, I grew up playing baseball in Canada. It was my second favorite sport. I'd say it's more popular there. Like how was, you know, the baseball popularity, I would say back then in Germany, because obviously this company, you know, must have thought it was pretty decent to have a, a sports agency just dedicated to baseball at the time. Well, they're not just have been a, a sports agency. They have been more like a event company, sport management overall, I would say. Uh, I mean, baseball is not a big sport in Germany even now. Back in the days, it was even smaller. But Regensburg, my hometown, was a big player in the German baseball market. So there was already a, a connection to the major league. Um, if you look up all the guys playing in the major league from Germany, have been playing in Regensburg, or had a connection with Regensburg. So we have been a big player in the baseball in Germany. But of course, overall, the sports is pretty small and it's still small. It's getting better now, but it's still a small sport in, in, in Germany, a small industry. I'm going to have to look up after this, uh, you know, some of the German baseball players. I'm not going to lie, I like followed baseball my whole life and maybe I just wasn't paying attention, but no clue about how many Germans played in the MLB or even in the in the lower professional leagues in, in North America. Uh, the, the one guy I can mention, I just don't know the, the, the first time his uh, name, I think is Donald Lutz. And I think he was playing for Minnesota. He was probably the first German who signed a really big uh, major league contract. And he was playing in Ringsburg before. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's good to know. I'll definitely do some research after. One thing I wanted to talk about with you, you know, obviously with just with your background, you know, you weren't, uh, you know, a, a fellow hockey player, I would say, not someone that had played professionally before. How was it getting in? uh to the business like when you were starting out because you know obviously if you're someone who's played um you know there's another guy from regensburg who is a local legend of playing so for him it might have been a little easier to get clients to jump into the the business given that he had played so how was it for someone like yourself that didn't have that background it was hard uh, i mean it definitely is because i didn't know anybody or not many people in the business I knew the, the guys in Regensburg and then, you know, these guys moved on to other teams. So I had a, a, a small little network um, and it was definitely hard. A lot of those doors have been closed for me because I was not a former player or somebody in the business. My uh, Nobody knew me. Uh, on the other side, I didn't have any pressure. You know, it was not like I have to do a business. I have to do uh, or have to make money. I have to be successful. It was just a nice to have. And I said, okay, if it works out, it's fine. If not, I have my job. I know where I make my money. I don't need to to have a, a second business when I started. Of course, I I was always hungry to do something and i always wanted to prove okay even if you're not a former player or you know coming from that sports overall you can be successful and many people many players told me hey you're not from that inner circle you won't have a chance and i said okay this is exactly the challenge i might be might have been looking for uh i don't have a chance means okay let's figure out and let's see if it's true or not just lights a fire uh under your ass as they would say like there's you know there's so many sayings in in any sport you know it's the old boys club it's a two you know inner circle like you said but we're going to talk about the one part you just mentioned later about how you didn't really need this to 
to support yourself. Like you had already been doing things on the side. And that's one thing that I'm going to cover later, because I think that's really impressive how there's always multiple streams of income in your life and multiple avenues, which I think is smart. But back to this, getting into it, like talk about the grind, like talk about your days of, you know, you've told me off camera, like putting in long hours, uh, your phone being on loud always. So if you had to take a call at three in the morning from a North American agent player, whatever team, you know, you you just were willing to do whatever it took to to slowly build up your name, build up your company, so that you'd be respected not only in Europe but also in North America as well. Um, I mean, for all the guys and especially the young people watching that that video and the listeners of the podcast out there, there was a world before WhatsApp and Facebook and Instagram. So that's being said, uh, it was a different kind of 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 daily work. I was working with a fax machine and uh, you guys can Google what that means, but I was working with a fax machine. We had email already, but not everybody had an email account. So uh, it was really hard, first of all, to get in touch with the, with the people world, whether we talk about players or GMs or coaches, you had to find out a phone number and then call these people. And then you could maybe use email or fax. And that's what I did. I sent out dozens and hundreds of faxes to clubs all over Germany, all over Europe uh, for for players I, I represented. And we're not talking about high inclines. We talk about low-level players from North America looking for a shot in Europe, college guys and so on. Um, and, and my daily work was really 24-7 being available for everybody, whether we talk about players GMs, um, European, North American, I I really tried to get in touch with the people. Um, driving hours just to have a coffee with the GM. So that was my daily work and really grinding it out, hustling every day and, and you know, building a network, first of all. And network meant not having followers on Instagram or whatever. It was really meeting those people, talk to them and, you know, have a meeting, especially face-to-face. Well, and back back then too, obviously the internet, it's come a long way as it has today. And that means both in terms of accessibility, but also, you know, back then in Germany, I would say, you know, I would say they're a little behind in terms of North America when it came to technology back then, especially with the internet. So for you to be able to like go on a team's website, I'll just use Regen- Regensburg, for example, to go on their team website, it might not give you a phone number for contact or it might not give you an email for the person you want to get. It might just give you like the info at, evlregensburg.de which is a generic one and half the time they don't answer those so you really had to find different avenues maybe somebody you knew played there or someone you knew knew that coach or gm to get these numbers to get these fax machine numbers as as i said to to show them hey i got some clients for you build those connections and networking because that's what all this business is mainly about is it's about the connections and networking yeah absolutely and most of the teams didn't even have a website at that days. So when I started, it was really, okay, I want to talk to this team. First of all, who is the GM of that team? There was no website. There was, you know, no elite prospects and all those those websites and all the tools we, we use today and, and that are common today. Uh, so first of all, who is the guy in charge for that organization? In Germany, it was easy because you knew it. But then you spread out to other countries. What about Austria? Okay, it's the same language, still easy. But then you go to France, Switzerland, uh, the Scandinavian countries. So it was really, first of all, daily work and and hours and hours of work 
to to say, okay, this is the guy in charge for that team. Uh, what's his phone number? How can I get it? Who might have it? And and that was was probably the first one or two years, the the biggest part of my job to to have all the phone numbers, the names, and then step by step, even talking to those guys. I think too, like back then. It, it, like it must have been a nightmare for for GMs because like they like all these agents are calling like they do today and you know as you said today we have elite prospects we have instat we have sport contract whatever for video but like back then like an agent could call and be like hey I got this guy he had 70 points in 25 games last year in this league like he'd be really good for you guys and a lot of times the GMs that's their resource if they don't know someone who played where he played or no contact information then it's basically like a lot of risk in taking these guys and i feel like some agents definitely would have taken advantage of that and sold guys to higher leagues than they probably should have been in yeah that's that's right i mean back then in in germany when i started i think i was the fifth or sixth agent in the german market so just to give you a picture how many agents have been working in the industry at that days it was completely controlled in the european market i would say from the scandinavian agents like you know sweden finland uh, and the North Americans. So um, representing a North American player in, in Germany or the European market was not quite common if you're coming from Germany. It was more done from Scandinavian and North American agencies. And the problem was the same for the GM. As as you just said, it's not just me getting a phone number. Also, the GM had to get the phone number of a scout of a GM in North America to get information about the player. Most players from North America, I would say, have been signed without seeing them on video for sure. Maybe live if some of the GMs flew over and watched the games. Uh, but then they saw one or maximum two games of a player. And, that, and on that, you know, impression was uh, the decision was made. How was it too back then for you when you were starting out, when you're talking to these GMs? You know, you're, you finally find the contacts you f- for the coach, GM, whatever. And you're getting on the phone with these guys like... Obviously, you're new to the business or new, at least in Europe, in terms of your company. So are, are these guys, you know, taking you seriously or are they just kind of, you know, entertaining you and then, you know, most times going somewhere else? Because that is one thing, like, I'm not trying to insult these people that spoke to you, but, you know, that's just how it is. If there's someone you're not familiar with, you might not give them the same amount of time on the phone or, or um realisticness to their clients of taking them as you would if you have someone you've been working with for 10 years yeah that's absolutely right i mean i would say for about 90 percent of the industry i was or for 100 percent of the industry i was nobody 90 percent of the industry didn't really speak to me or if so it was that usual small dog yeah okay send me your players we'll get back to you and you never heard again um some some doors have been open um because of the players I represented, maybe. Um, on the other side, I never gave up. I called them again and said, listen, I'm, I'm in your area. You have 20 minutes for a coffee. I would like to introduce myself. Would like to speak about your team, about some of my players I represent. And of course, the better the players uh, are you represent, um, the easier it was to get in touch with, uh, with the bigger teams. Uh, and uh, that opened more and more doors, and then you have been referred because you know, coach told me, "Hey, this is a friend of mine. You can call him, say hi for me." That opened the next door. So it was really phoning everybody, meeting everybody, and and 
working through a phone book, I would, I, I would say. I mean, from, from A to Z, I was working through the phone book daily uh, and, and, and day in and out and hours and hours uh, to meet the next GM, to, to see the next coach, uh, watching practice and, and catch the coach after practice just to say hi. And then he was in a bad mood and uh, didn't speak to me. And then I was driving home again five hours. Uh, so that was the starting the starting first one, two, maybe three years of my business. I think that's a testament to people like yourself who were agency, uh, sorry, agents back then getting into the business or still have been in the business is, you know, back then, as you said, like texting wasn't really a thing. There was no WhatsApp. There was, you know, I think the thing on like I grew up having was like MSN Messenger. And I don't think that's very professional to to use. But so it was a lot of going to meet guys in person or talking to them on the phone. And I know personally, just with my experience and my generation today, would I rather pick up the phone and, and talk to somebody I don't really know for 10, 15 minutes and try to get them to uh, become interested in me or my clients? Or would I rather send them a text being like, hey, this is what I have, blah, blah, blah. Like what's quicker, what's more time efficient. I think that's something that's definitely lost in our generation is, or maybe it's word we've adapted and that's the new way, but you could make an argument for either side. But I feel like the communication skills of the new guys coming up, instead of reaching out for a phone call, whether it's five, 10 minutes, doesn't matter. They'd rather just send a text where you had to really, you know, be personable, be approachable, sell your product with words, not just with uh, letters. Yeah. So, and when you were starting out, so were you just focused on on Germany because you were smaller? You were just starting out. You had a couple clients, or were you also, uh, you know, expanding out to other countries? Like you said, maybe maybe Austria because it's the same language, and then you know maybe some France, Geneva, or sorry, France, Switzerland, just because it's like close by. Or were you also doing the Scandinavian countries and also reaching out to people in North America? Uh, I was. When I started, I was focused on Germany. I said, "Okay, that's that's enough already, and that's a lot of work uh, to 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 get in touch with all the German teams." We had three divisions, which means that about whatever 50, 60 teams overall. And I said, "Okay, I want to meet all those teams uh, in a in a first step." And I had a friend, a really good friend. He was North American player playing in my hometown and for my hometown team for a couple of years. And he had some friends back in, in, in North America looking for a chance in Europe. And I picked up all of those guys. And, you know, most of these guys have been really low-level players for, like, third division Germany, second division France, uh, you know, leagues that I that I even can't remember that I've been working in. Uh, but I took literally everybody and I said, okay, let's see what I can, what I can get. And I remember my first... North American player I, I sold outside Europe was in second division France. And I think the commission was at about 200 euros. That was my first deal outside Germany. And uh, I was close to open a bottle of champagne and, and part of that deal, not just because of the money, but my first deal outside of Germany. But the first one, one and a half year was just Germany. And then, you know, coaches moved on to other teams, other countries. And that's how I expanded my network, uh, mainly through guys I, I knew already. And then they, you know, got into coaching um, or, or moved to other countries. That's that's how my network grew. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. Like, obviously, do you remember, you know, one of your first like deals? And that was a great example that you brought up. Another question I had. And it's no disrespect to the guys you represented early on. It's just a, a question in general. But who was one of the 
the first guys you represented that like was a you know higher tier player that you could that really just comes to mind being like you know I, after all this hard work i finally got someone where kind of like you said if you felt like opening a bottle of champagne because you had finally got someone with maybe a little more track record or their name was known around europe well, the first guy I really represented was Daniel Menge, and some of the, the the German fans might know his name. He was a young player when I started, and I started with him, and uh, he had a really good DL2 career. Uh, so I think he was he was really a good name for for me as a small agency and the, and the young agent. Um, the first guys I represented from North America, having bigger names, was uh, Mark Booth, who is still one of my best friends in in Canada, and Jason Miller who was a uh, first round draft pick for the New Jersey Devils. He played, I think, a handful of games uh, in the NHL, and then had a really, really long and successful career in Europe. So I would say these have been my first so-called stars or big names in 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 the hockey business. Oh, well, it's cool to cool to hear, obviously. And you know, for you, I, I guarantee at that time that was something you took pride in. And you know, when you're calling these teams, saying these names, and I'm sure many gms knew who they were or knew where they'd been so that's where it starts you can see the snowball effect your company your name start picking up some speed and people start giving a little more respect to you uh than maybe they did a couple of years before one thing i wanted to talk about as well is and this is be good for the listeners because i'm sure there's some listeners out there who one day will be looking for an agent and are curious about what does Peter Meyer, what does Sportagon look for in a player? Like, what is the criteria, uh, whether that's one thing, three things, five things you're looking for when you want to represent a player? Um, first of all, and I think it, everything goes down to that, is the quality of the player as a hockey player. I mean, it has to have a certain kind of quality, a certain level he's able to play and, and hopefully has played already on that level. That's the first. The second, and for me, that's really equal, is the character of the player. I mean, there are a lot of players out there, really good players, but with you know bad habits, uh, bad work ethic, and so on, and and never reaching their their maximum. And, and my my goal was always that my players uh, reach their maximum, whatever it is, whether it's NHL, DL, or whatever. I always thought, okay, I want to push my player to the limit. And um, therefore, I think the quality of the player and uh, the character of the player are the two most important things I'm looking for. And character means what kind of a person he is, uh, what is a, what's his work ethic, what are his, uh, his habits, uh, good or bad, that I really know, okay, uh, I can trust him on the ice. And when I send him to a team, and obviously he trusts me, to do the work in the in the background that's that's awesome to hear honestly i think those are two very very core values and like you said i don't think there's a one two i think they're they go hand in hand obviously you need to be able to play the sport that's very well known but at the same time you can play the sport but if you don't have a good character you know teams are going to say no or it's going to travel around leagues travel around europe another thing you brought up with it which i think is great is you want to help the player get to their very best. And that doesn't always mean the NHL. I've said this before on previous episodes, everybody's max potential, everybody's goal in life can be different. And just because it's, you know, my goal, one of my goals was to play in the Dell two. I reached it. Does that mean I failed because I didn't get to the DL because I didn't get to the top Austria league? 
no, those were other goals I had. I wanted to go slowly work my way up. But in the end, it, you know, what happened happened. And I try to tell the young, the young listeners listening is, you know, everybody has their own path. They have their own goals they set. And just because you don't always reach them doesn't mean it's a failure of a career. Yeah. I've said many times, I know guys who played in the OHL, got their schooling done and never played after. And I don't look at them and go, oh, you guys, you know, haha, like, look at me. It's not like that. So I, I'm happy you brought that up. I'm happy that you think think the same and that's what your values are. And it's not just about how much dollars can these guys make. It's how do I get them with helping them to the best ability to their highest potential, whether that's Europe, North America, whatever league, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's about the players. Yeah, absolutely correct. What's uh I mean I know it varies because there's obviously you know really busy times in your in your life and and other times where it's not as busy not to say that it's dead but what's a what's a week look like for you in terms of like uh you know your lifestyle like there's people listening that are probably like hey if I want to be an agent one day uh what's my Sunday to Sunday look like Well it depends a little bit are we talking about during the season or in the summertime I mean during the season uh, your calendar and is is controlled by the games. Like you really have games almost every day now because the schedule has changed a little bit in in the last few years, especially in Germany. But almost from from Monday to Sunday, I'm I'm um, you know at the rinks uh, watching games, watching practices, meeting my players after games or after practices. So um, if you're looking for a nine to five job, please go somewhere else, but never think about being an agent because it's a it's not a job. I would say being an agent is a lifestyle. Um, you know, everybody has seen the movie Jeremy Maguire. That's exactly what it what it it says. Everything about being an agent is a lifestyle, and it's a passion you you have or you you don't have. Um, that I would say you're available twenty four seven. You're thinking about players. You're thinking about teams. Uh, who do I have to call? Who do I have to meet? What is uh, what has to be done in the office? Uh, paperwork, contracts, legal stuff, whatever. So. That's what I, I do most of the times. In the summertime, it's a little bit easier because you can control your schedule a little bit more by yourself. There are no games, so you can arrange the meetings you want or when you want. Um, during the season, it's really controlled by the by the leagues and, and the game days. No, that's uh, I'd say that's pretty pretty accurate. And like you said, it, it it's not a nine to five. You have to be available at times. One of the things that I like what you talked about, and I just know it from personal experience, is you're willing to go see these guys. And it's not just, hey, he's playing one hour down the road. That's convenient for me. You know, sometimes you're driving five, six, seven hours to go see your clients play. You wait after the game. So if these games are at 730 at night, they're coming out 1030. And then it's not like you're always staying in a hotel. Sometimes you're doing that drive home, getting home at six in the morning and then doing something the next day. And yeah. I've always said that for people, when you're looking for agents, you want someone, one who, who believes in you, can sell you and has seen you play. So yeah. they know you as a person because there's a difference between knowing someone from what someone else told you about them and never seeing them play and just selling them based on maybe their stats or what you've heard versus you've seen them play be like this is how he is this is what he's strong at these are some things i honestly believe he should work on and that that's another thing is a lot of agents and i get it's their job they try to sell you on anything every player they have is great 
no no problems anywhere uh nothing they need to get better on or you know i i I personally would rather someone be honest with me because it's at least like they see it the same way that i might see it on video when i go look at this guy later or when i see him live is like you know does this guy have good hockey sense yes does his skating maybe need a little bit of work sure that's correctable he can go to a skating coach or work on it in the summer in terms of strength and training so i think that's one thing that I've always appreciated about you yourself. And there's obviously other agents out there too, who do it. I'm not discrediting, you know, all other agents, but you know, sometimes it's better. I prefer people to be honest about it fully than to kind of hide it. And then, you know, you'll find out later kind of, kind of scenario. Well, what, what I always learned and, and when I started the agents said, okay, I might, I may do it my way whether it was a better way or not, but I said, I always want to be honest. And, uh, you know, I always took pride of my, of my reputation in the market overall, not just player wise, but also team wise. And, and now I can say when I call a team or a GM and, and offer him a player, he can trust my words. He knows that, you know, this is the player, this is the, 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 the scenario, this is his background, injury background, um, good and bad things about him, strengths and weaknesses. I I know my player. I can describe him. And when I talk to a GM, he knows that whenever he will scout the player or talk to you know his references, uh, he will get ninety nine percent of the the information I gave him already upfront. And I think that's very important. As you said, some agents try to sell everything just for a dollar, and maybe even their own grandma. Um, I said. Yeah, that's one way to do it. And it's maybe an easy way if you don't have a character. But I think uh, in the long run, um, you have to be honest and you have to be a a serious partner for the player you represent. So that also means that you have to be honest to him in, in good and bad things, but also towards the teams. If I talk to a GM and he finally signs my player and I'm hiding information, he will probably not be happy the next time I call him. Plus... After a couple of weeks on his teams, on his team, he will see it anyways. Strengths, weaknesses, you know, the problems a player might have. So you can't hide it anyways. And even nowadays with a lot of those video platforms and, you know, easy to get in touch with scouts and everything, you can't hide information. Uh, you know, you, you can get every information you want to have about, about a player. So... Uh, as you said, be honest, tell the coach, hey, he needs a little bit of work on this or he needs some support on that or, hey, this is an area he has to improve, which is fine because in the end, there is a reason why not every player is playing in the NHL. If he if he has no weaknesses, he have, if he has just a great character, well, that would mean he's an NHL guy. And we know that there are a lot of players in the NHL, but there are way more players not being in the NHL. And I don't want to say... They are not good enough, but there might be reasons or he was just unlucky why he's not in the NHL. No, 100% correct. And as you said, I think it's better to be to be honest up front. And it's also your reputation, right? So if you get caught selling some BS and, you know, to a GM or to a coach, you know, as you said, they might not pick up your phone next time or they're going to talk to other people being like, oh, by the way, this guy sold me on this. Yeah. Uh, clearly has no idea what he's talking about. And then that damages your brand, which you've clearly worked your way up to for so long to build. Um, one of the things I want to ask you too, is like, the, what are the main values of a sportagon? Like when I go on your website right away, it pops out to me. I see philosophy, vision, goals, 
and values. And if you read within the first couple sentences, and this is one thing that caught my eye right away, was you don't wish to become the biggest hockey agency on the planet, but you'd rather select a group of elite players limited to a certain number to represent. So we've had this conversation before. There's many agencies out there that have 200, 300, 400 clients, which is, you know, all in all, probably great for business, but they might not be getting the the number one client treatment that they would be at Sportagon or the the closeness of, you know, talking to them every, every, every week, uh, you know, looking out for them because, you know, some of these clients to other agents might just look like, hey, it's just another guy, uh, another name on the list. Yeah, that's probably right. And, you know, every everybody can do the business the way he wants it to. For me, it was always important that I have a good relationship to my player. And um, I think the biggest value I can offer is time. I mean, my day has 24 hours, and I think that's the same for everybody on this planet, especially all the agents out there. Uh, but if I represent, let's say, 50 players or 400, that means I have to take care of 400 guys in the same 24 hours I have for my 50 players. That means those guys don't have time for a long talk, for a personal meeting. Uh, they can't answer emails right away. And this was always important for me. Um, I always said, you know, player first, client first. And that means I, I want to give him the feeling that I have time. I, when I talk to a player, I never, I never check the time. What I talked in five minutes or two hours, I have time for him. And whenever I'm done with a meeting, I can talk to the next one or call the next one. So that's something that was very important uh, for me because in the end, whatever I do for a player um, or, or you know, for my for my business, it takes time. When I talk to, to, to a GM, I meet the player, I have a personal meeting with a club, I do, you know, paperwork. It, it always comes down to time and um uh, for me, it was always important to have a close personal relationship to my players, to be honest, every day. And, you know, if we talk about good or bad things, I, I will be honest to my players. Um, and, you know, I always said the, 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 the best scenario we can have is we're sitting in the same boat. Okay, let's move to the, to the same direction. And there are some parts the player has to fulfill on the ice and, and with his team. And there are some parts I have to fulfill as an agent. And uh, let's split that job. You do your job on the ice. I do it off the ice. And let's work 100% for the same goals because then the job is pretty easy. Everybody's pretty happy. And the player will hopefully have a long and successful career. I mean, I can attest to those conversations that you talked about. The first time we got in contact was through WhatsApp. And we talked on the phone. I think the first day we talked for two hours. And I know a lot of other agents where it's they call quickly talk and then lose interest and all right, I got to jump on something else. And that's where that personal kind of relationship I felt was, was, it was a nice change for me. And it, it, like, I'm sure other people as well, they feel, yeah, Peter has my back. He actually cares uh, about my, my career and he's going to do everything he can off the ice. And I have to do everything I need to on the ice. And this should be a good, good team uh, together. Um. Couple other things I want to talk talk about just in terms of like you know the actual agency businesses. Maybe you don't want to spill this because it might be your secrets, but any negotiation tactics or strategies you would say that uh, you feel you've 
used over the years that work or that you would recommend to younger people who want to do it? Or is that just kind of like spilling your secret recipe to your favorite Sunday dinner? No, uh, I think there is not. A, honestly, I don't think there is a big secret. Uh, first of all, I think it's important that you like to work with people. I mean, there are persons out there, they they prefer to work in an office where nobody shows up. Um, it's a people business and it will always be a people business. And I think it will always be a personal people business. Uh, so that's the first thing that that is important, that you like to, to be around people. Second, um, you have to know what you have. I, I said it's a little bit like like playing poker. And honestly, I'm not a, not a card player, but you should know your hand. Do you have a strong hand? Or in, in, in the hockey business, it means do you have a player everybody wants? Or is he a tough sell? Um, and that you know changes your position towards the, the team. And the other thing I always thought is be as honest as possible. And that means you don't need to tell everything or you know be honest about how many teams you talk to but be honest when you talk to this one team about you know what are the problems of the player what are his strengths weaknesses uh what areas does he have to improve uh, because that gives the, the the gm and the coach a good feeling about you as an agent because it tells him hey this guy knows the player and he knows exactly what we are looking for so is is this player um, um, meeting our needs and and is he exactly what we're looking for uh, or is he not? And, and I think that's very important. Um, and I think that goes down to, to strategy. I mean, if you know what the team is looking for and you have exactly that kind of a player, yeah, then you have, a, a, I would say, a strong hand in, in, in poker terms and then you can, you can play your cards and listen, guys, this is exactly what you're looking for. Um, you know, um, this, this are the, the information you need and this is a player profile, uh, check him out and then let's talk again next week. Uh, but I think there is not really a secret or a strategy. I mean, I know uh, there's a lot about, you know, those sales strategies and, and things you can look up online. I think, first of all, you have to have a passion for what you do because that gives you a certain strength. Second, um, you know, you should know what you do and and. I think that's the secret, or I would say that's the secret. How does licensing work in terms of all the leagues? I know it depends on country, but you know, some leagues you definitely have to. Just from what I've heard, you know, I believe the Dell Two, you have to be a licensed agent, pay a fee uh, every year or whatever it is. So, does that go basically league to league, or is it country to country, depending on how many leagues they have? Like Germany, they would have probably three leagues you need to be licensed in, I believe. And then I don't know about Austria, maybe two. It depends a little bit. I mean, in Germany, you you have to be licensed for the DL and the DL2. You don't need to be licensed for the third division. Um, so Germany is, is actually the only country where you have to have two licenses for two, two different leagues. In all other countries, that require license like Finland, Sweden, um, you can be licensed or you work with a partner. I'm a big fan of having a partner in the markets uh, because I think it's very difficult to to do business, let's say from Germany in Finland when I don't know about the tax system, I don't know how the house insurance system works, uh, all that kind of thing. So um, that's why I'm, I'm licensed in Germany. We have an office in Switzerland, but if it goes to Sweden, Finland, I negotiate myself and I represent the players, but I always have a partner in those countries I can use and I can ask for help. That's cool. Cool to hear. 
Another question I had, and this was a personal question I just thought of while we were recording, is how do you draw the line or separate hardworking versus annoying? And I'll give you an example. So if you have a client that you want to place in a certain organization, you know, you obviously first would reach out the first time, hi, I have this client, I think it'd be great for you. I've noticed, like, especially when I was playing, you know, athletes, especially they sit at home and they're just thinking, oh my God, where am I going next year? And days get longer and you're thinking, oh, maybe if I message him one more time, I'll get his attention. Or, hey, if I send him an email with video, maybe I'll get his attention. How do you, just with your experience over the years, how have you been able to separate, you know, respectively working hard, being persistent without crossing a line into where the coach GM is like, you know, holy shit, this guy's annoying. I don't know if I never crossed that line, to be honest. Sometimes you you do, and I think sometimes you have to do, uh, because situations can change. If a, if a team is not interested in that player today, that doesn't automatically mean he's not interested in four weeks because maybe he's not getting the player he's looking for. So, yeah, you have to be persistent and you have to be, um, you know, on the teams and on the GMs all the time. Um, but that also means... Um, and for me, that's very important to have a phone call or have a meeting because when you send a WhatsApp, he can just text you back. No, I'm not interested. But does that really mean he's not interested or is that just an excuse for right now? When I talk to somebody face to face or I hear his voice, I think you can find out those those little differences between he's not interested or he's just saying he's currently not interested or vice versa. So. Um, that's why I prefer those personal meetings and, and personal talks with the GMs because then I think you can really figure out is it an excuse or is it just a reality? And um, if I if I realize that the team hasn't signed a player for that position uh, a couple of weeks later or a week later, I can still call, hey, listen, uh, has the situation changed? Uh, have you signed your favorite guy? Uh, so you can even do it on a, on a nice way and don't bug him all the time. and and. Uh, I think that's very important to be professional, um, to yeah, not to annoy him as you as you said, but still be close to the to the teams and close to the GMs, and figure out okay, has he improved? Has he signed his players? Uh, situations can change. Player has decided for another team. Team has decided for another player, um, and and that can happen within even hours, not just days or weeks. So yes, you have to be persistent. Uh, but you can do that in a in a good or a bad way and in an arrogant and yeah, negative way or hey, just be a professional partner and be supportive uh, and even try to help out the team. I mean, even the, the team is not always your enemy. Um, um, you know, you have maybe common goals and you have the same interest uh, on a certain player. So, hey, join forces and uh, get get everything done and get a deal done. So. Um, and I always try to be professional, positive, uh, not too aggressive, because I think that's what annoy what is annoying for GMs. Um, but you can do it in a nice way too. I appreciate that answer. You put it into a good text. I feel like in terms of sometimes you have to cross the line or just keep following up because things could change. Or maybe if you're persistent, you know the idea of that player gets in their head. And just knowing from a personal standpoint, I was that guy just spamming people so because i was never first choice so i you know made me feel a little better about that and 
evidently i think that's why i got my job and held braun is because my agent at the time had uh continually stayed on the coach stay on the coach yeah. it went up to five months and then eventually i i got a contract and the and the rest is history there one other thing i wanted to talk about sportacons sportacons sorry so you have the the hockey aspect of it um but you also have another side of it and this is what you know a lot of people kind of forget about because they're so caught up in the moment of playing is whether it's financial advice setting themselves up for the future or life after hockey and i know you've talked about it with me a little bit how you try to differentiate you know your agency from just being okay we're strictly in the sports when you guys are done sayonara like you try to set your athletes up for life after hockey uh now football as well and also you try to help them financially with advice uh throughout their career do you want to talk about that a little bit yeah sure i mean it's a fact that sooner or later uh the the career of a pro athlete is over i mean i don't know many sports that you can do with uh, 60 and still be be a pro maybe bernard langer in golf can do it but in hockey or soccer or football um the career is over at a certain point. And if you're lucky enough, you can choose that point. Sometimes, and we, we both know this happened once in a while, and we just had a tragic accident in, in Rosenheim a couple of months ago, uh, the career is over, over and it's not your decision. Either way, there has to be a plan for that point and for the time beyond. Um, and it goes about what are you doing as a daily job after your hockey career and if you're not playing in the nhl if you're not playing in the khl you're probably not a multi-millionaire and golf is the only thing you you will do and you don't need to care about a job or a business or money anymore um so that's what i tell the players even at the young age there will be a time where you not play professional uh, hockey anymore and you don't make money with with hockey anymore that's just a fact and there are different strategies and different ways to to think about that. One way is I don't care and I hope I will play until I, I get my, my, my pension and my retirement. That's not going to happen and then you will have a problem after your career. The second is, okay, yes, that's right. There will be a time when I retire or you know I have to finish my career because of an accident or an injury. Um, and... I'm responsible, first of all, for my life, but also maybe for the life of my wife, kids. And I have to make money somehow. And as long as you play, you have a really, really great lifestyle. You play your, the game you love. Um, that passion you you fulfill is making you money and you don't need to worry about a lot of things besides. Um, the one thing you should worry is, what do I do with my money? And you should manage your money or have somebody who manages your money. Um, and the second thing is think about what comes after the hockey life. And it's fine if you want to be an agent, if you want to want to stay in the, the business with, you know, as a coach or whatever, that's totally cool. But some players don't want to become coaches or there's not a job for them out there. And that means you have to have a plan B, whether it's you start your own business. I have players, they, they do something with crypto. They do something with real estates. They, they are creating an app, um, they, they study something. And for me, it's not important what they do and how they do. For me, the most important thing is that they think about that and, and, and 
you know, put together a plan B. And if I want, if they want to hear my advice about that, I will tell them and I will say, listen, you know, you have to think about it, read books, uh, do YouTube videos. It's easy to get information nowadays with all those online platforms. But I try to make sure that the player has it in mind that there will be a time after his career. And that's the most important thing because once you have, you have started that thought and, and you, you're in his mind with, with that, uh, a lot of things um, happen more or less automatically. He will think about a, a, a second business mm -hmm. or, you know, starting something or get into another uh, business mm -hmm. or, yeah. I mean, some of the guys in, in North America, they go into the real estate business, which is which is great. Whatever you do is, is great as long as you do something and as, as long as you know during the career, that you have to do something after the career. That was a great point that you just raised is, and I hope, you know, who's ever listening, however old you are, if you're playing minor hockey, if you're playing junior, if you're playing college, if you're playing pro, one day the, the end will come. And a lot of times it's not by your choice. You know, everybody wants to play until they're 40 and then retire and go out on their own terms. Well, unfortunately, it doesn't always happen like that, whether it's through family reasons from for injuries or, you know, just random scenarios. That's that's the life of it. Um, you know, part of the ups and downs. But it's good to always be thinking and just don't feel that you have to have pressure. Hey, I need to figure it out by next week what I'm going to do or something to do on the side. But just always be open to having your mind thinking, okay, maybe after hockey, I could do this. Or maybe while I'm over in Europe, I could do this on the side. And that could lead to something down the road. Um, that's definitely something that I wish when I was playing, I had kind of focused on at an earlier age because, you know, you have so much free time. You know, let's be honest, you're playing pro hockey. It doesn't matter where you are. You're at the ring three, four hours a day. What are you doing with the other 20 hours? Um, yeah. You know, so that's something I've, I've always wished I, if I could go back, I would have started something earlier like that. But you brought up many good points there. Back to Sportagon. So obviously you guys have worked your way up into the hockey world. As you said, you've been doing this for almost 20 years now. You've recently transitioned into the football business, soccer for those North Americans. Um, what are the future plans for, for Sportagon? Like, where do you see it going? Well, um, my goal for Sportman is to be a sport management company. It's not so much just being an agency, like, you know, representing athletes. And uh, I will always be in the hockey uh, industry because I love the sports. Uh, of course, soccer is a, a big business. It's probably, the, it's by far the biggest business you, you have, we have in Germany and probably worldwide. Um, so that's definitely something we want to continue and, and we want to grow. But I'm also thinking about, you know, event management, uh, organizing um, events, whether we talk about, you know, tennis or hockey or whatever. Uh, that's definitely one of my, my goals. I, I don't want to be just a hockey agent. I want to be a sports manager. That's my goal. And that means we, we reach out to different sports but also reach out into different areas in those sports. Like I said, event managing, uh, event organization, you know, w whatever comes, but that's a little bit my, my goal. I'm always looking, you know, towards the big players in the in industry, uh, IMG, Octagon, um, a lot of those 
really, really big companies uh, represent or work in different sports, but also in different areas. And that's definitely one of my goals. And I don't, my goal is not to become as big as, as IMG or those, those multi-billion dollar companies, but I like the strategy of those companies and, and how they are structured. That's definitely a goal for me in the, in the I would say, near future. Just keeping keeping it with the structure there, like, do you mean also maybe in terms of Sportagon, like having not obviously at the start because it might be a bit difficult, but like ways of enticing athletes to come to you. If you sign in Sportagon, this is what you get. So obviously they get your your uh, knowledge of the, the hockey world. You'll be handling them, but also maybe, you know, if you're a goalie, for example, here's a goalie coach. Um that can work with you who's with Sportagon and has worked here, here and here. So this is one of the benefits we give uh, to, to that. Maybe uh, a strength coach as well. Is that something along the lines too that you've thought about? Yeah, because I think that's very important. I mean, most people um, um, just see me as, as Sportagon and, and I, might, I might be the face and the name of Sportagon, but it's not just me. We have a whole team in the in the background. We have sports lawyers. We have insurance guys. We have uh, uh, we are covering BG services. Uh, we we have strength and uh, conditioning coaches. Uh, we think about uh, um, you know doing video analysis for our players. So we're always looking. Okay, how can we help and support the player? How can we make a player better? Because I think one thing in in a, in a career of an athlete is player development how can i become better and i'm not just talking about young players you know on 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 the upcoming side i'm still talking about pro players i mean just look on on novak djokovic i mean he's 36 won 23 grand slam titles he's still looking for you know little things how can i become better how can i become stronger how can i stay as fast as i am and these guys have nothing to prove they're multimillionaires but you know they always wanna wanna be on on top level as as long as possible, and this is something that that drives me and strikes me. How can I support my players to be good? How to become better? How to have a longer career? And we talk about, of course, all the things on the ice or on the field, but we're also talking about um, um, nutrition. Um, athlete uh, or, or training, um, sleep routines, whatever it takes. I mean, there are so many little areas and little things you can improve, but all those little things add up to, uh, yeah, you're, you're reaching that next level. You're making that next step. And this is, like I said at the beginning, my goal is to maximize a career. And that means as long as possible, as good as possible, as high as possible, and, you know, best paid possible that's what i'm looking for for my players and whatever it takes and however i can help my players i want to do that well i think the biggest thing is just always always being open to learning new things you know making small adjustments because you know a guy like Djokovic, as you said this guy's won everything definitely going down as one of the best tennis players to ever play the game but he also knows if i need if i want to stay at this level everybody's coming for me like i'm i'm the the top guy right now everybody's yeah. coming for me so i need to you know maybe try things keep learning like these young kids are doing because they're they're at a young age learning these things where he's you know at an older age and you know maybe what he learned at that age you know always 
isn't the best now or there's new methods to it. So you need yeah. to always be, you know, updating, updating the the routine, stuff like that. So I think that's definitely a huge aspect. Doesn't matter what your age is. If you're 36, if you're 18, you always need to be just open to learning. And, you know, I've said it before, it doesn't mean you have to do everything, try it. And if it works for you, take that out to your regime. If it doesn't work for you and you're really giving it a full chance, then maybe find a way to adjust it or, or try something else that was yeah. bringing you success. Um, and speaking of this, always just kind of like transitioning back to, to, to Germany and their hockey. I'm curious, someone who's been in the business so long, uh, you've worked with so many athletes, seen so many great uh, hockey players, especially come up through the German ranks and, you know, whether they are longtime DL guys, Dell two, some have gone to other leagues, even NHL, like Leon Dreisaitl, for example, or now Maurice Sider. What have you noticed over the years in terms of German hockey that they have done really well? And what do you think are some things that they need to maybe improve on to help them start competing? I don't want to say start competing. That wasn't the right word. But to stay on the same path as the, you know, the, the Finns or the Swedes are in terms of development and you know, the growing the game of hockey. Um, well, I think what was always really good in Germany, we have been always been really organized and, you know, that sounds a little bit, um, boring, uh, but it's, it's, it's a fact. I mean, the leagues, the, 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 the money side, uh, social insurances, whatever Germany is well known for is, is also true for, for hockey players and athletes playing in Germany. Um, the thing that I think we we have to improve is we have to invest a little bit more in the player development, and uh, maybe that's unfair to say because if you look up to Sweden or Finland, hockey is by far the number one sport in their country. In Germany, the number one sport is, was, and will always be uh, soccer or football, um, and just that's a fact, and that's where a lot of the money goes. So. What I think we have to improve are two things. I think our marketing has to become a little bit better. I mean, we just won a silver medal um, at the World Championship, which was a huge success. And I'm really, really happy for German hockey and the team overall. And there have been some fans uh, um, waiting for the team at the at the airport. And, you know, music band was there, which was fine. But then look up uh, how the team Latvia was, was welcome back home. It was like, you know... Uh, public holiday um so i think you know all those things go down a little bit into marketing how we sell our product because if you look up the dl or overall german hockey it's 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 it improved over the years for sure i mean we won a silver medal at the olympics we now won a silver medal at the, the world championship so we do have a good product uh, but i think we have to sell it a little bit better and a little bit more and maybe a little bit uh, more aggressive that more money comes into the market because the more money comes into the market overall and into the sports, that means um, the money gives you opportunities and, and creates chances. You can hire better junior coaches. You can hire more at, uh, um, uh, strength co uh, coaches. You can you can hire uh, skating coaches. Uh, it, it goes down to money most of the time, like ice time. We don't have rinks. Uh, offering ice in the summertime or just a, a few of them. So that's something we have to improve. If you go to Sweden, Finland, and, and especially North America, mm -hmm. you can play hockey all year round uh, in a rink, uh, you know, at the pond, wherever you want to do it. But you can do it. In Germany, it's it's a season sport. Um, and uh, also that goes down, of course, to money because 
having a, a rink with ice in the summertime is super expensive for the rink, but also for the players who want to use it. And uh, this is definitely an area we have to improve. Uh, on the other side, and this is something you could recently see, is um, we are way more in the focus right now with a silver medal, with Saito doing a great, great job in, in Detroit. Peterka is coming up uh, rightly. We have a lot of players you know, going to the NHL or maybe breaking into the NHL in the next couple of years. Uh, and this is the, the, the product we have, and we can be proud of that. Uh, but on the other side, we can sell it a little bit more. I mean, Moritz Müller was at the at the biggest uh, um, sports TV show a couple of weeks ago before the, the, the World Championship. But I think he was the only German guest uh, or uh, the only German hockey player as a guest for like a couple of years. Dreisaitl was the last one five years ago. And this is what I mean with, with marketing. We are good in marketing our product in the in the scene or in the hockey business. But we're not thinking so much outside the box, like how can we expand? How can we get more fans? How can we get a better TV context? And this is definitely something where we can improve. You definitely raised yeah. a lot of good points there. Um, obviously, you being German yourself, having lived in this country for a lot longer than me, I think you're a better person to talk about than me. One thing I will say that I've noticed, and I'm not saying this applies to everyone, but if you've looked at the recent players over the years uh, who are in the NHL, they didn't play long in Germany. And what I mean by that is Moritz Seider, for example, he went to Sweden instead of playing in the, in the DEL because he felt that was better for his development. And lo and behold, he was two years later in the NHL. Uh, Philip Grubauer, Leon Dreisaitl, these guys went and played major junior. Uh, in respective leagues because they felt, hey, these are good opportunities for me to go here and I feel like it'll be a faster way to to get me to my goal in the NHL. And I'm not saying that that's always the right path. There's examples, as you said, Paterka played for Munich and then next year was in Rochester and now he's been up with Buffalo. So there's there are examples of others, but I guess what I'm trying to say is, and, and this goes back to how popular the sport is, the accessibility of ice, uh, just all that is, you know, it's rare to see it the other way. It's rare to see Canadians going to play junior in Europe to go to back to the NHL. You know what I mean? Like they all know, hey, I'm either going to play major junior, I'm going to go NCAA, and then after that, I'm starting my pro journey. And that's one thing that I've just noticed from my short time being here. And maybe I'm wrong, but that's just my opinion is how do we convince these guys to stay here that they're going to get the same development? you know, on a daily basis as they would in Sweden. Obviously, as we talked about, it goes into rink availability, uh, number one sport, uh, you know, obviously in Sweden versus in Germany. But I think this is something that can definitely be a focus of, of German hockey, of the DEB. Hey, how do we do this over the next couple of years till we get to the point where we're like the Swedens, like the Finns, where maybe some of those guys are coming to our junior leagues to want to work with our coaches? Because they, as you said, they are, they had a great world championship second place and i don't think anyone would have said that going in that they were going to finish second i thought they would have done well but i don't think second you you know you have the finlands swedes stuff like that so it's definitely a huge uh testament to them testament to that coaching staff uh development of all the young players but you can see where i'm going i'm just thinking bigger picture here how do we look ahead 10 years for german hockey yeah and 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 i think you're you're right in most of the points i think the 
the biggest point is we have to bring more kids to hockey. I mean, if you compare soccer and hockey, playing soccer, I need a, a field. Sometimes it's just, you know, the street and the ball. That's it. So it's easy to do. If I want to play hockey, I need a rink with ice. I need skates. I need a stick. I need a puck. I need, you know, maybe some friends I can play with. Uh, so, you know, it's 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 easy to play soccer compared to hockey. But I think, first of all, and, and I think that's that's overall a problem in Germany, we have to bring more kids back to, to sports. And no, I'm not saying hockey, but to sports. Um, you know, COVID has stolen two or three years uh, uh, from those kids. And that's just a, just a fact. And I think that the first focus has to be the kids have to do more sports again. It's nice to have uh, computers and it's nice to be on the on the phone. It's nice to watch TikTok and whatever, but hey, go out and and do your sports, whether it's track and field, football, hockey, whatever you want to do, just do it and and have fun with your friends. I think that's the first step. Second, uh, make sure a lot of those kids want to want to want to play hockey or are at least interested to be, you know, hockey players. And I'm not saying everybody has to become a pro player. Just have fun with that sport because if somebody likes the sport and he's not a pro player, he's at least a fan. You know, buying tickets, buying the hockey magazines, turning on the TV. Uh, so, so bring more people and and mostly more kids to that sport and open the doors. Make sure that we are not too selective, whether on you know in terms of is this a talented kid or not. Well, maybe he's not talented, but he's happy to play the game and he likes the game. Okay, give him a chance to play the game. Um, and I think that's one thing we have to change a little bit. And, and maybe that's something, you know, the whole hockey business in Germany overall has to think, rethink a little bit and, and try to change. And I can't even say how to change it. But I think the more kids you, you have in the sports, the better the sports will be. I mean... Why is Canada or Sweden or Finland on top? Because everybody's playing that sport and not just pro, but the sport overall. Why is soccer in Germany, in France, um, you know, in England, uh, the, the sport number one? Because everybody is playing it or has played it or is still a fan of that sport. And I think that's, that's something we have to change, um, you know, getting the attention of people overall but mostly our our children our kids yeah i mean can't really say it any better than that you raise a lot of a lot of good points there one of them is obviously as you talked about is also the the price range you know how how much does it cost to buy a pair of shoes and a ball versus you know full equipment and then if you're a goalie yeah. add money to that so that's something and we're obviously you know for for anyone listening watching like we're just talking out loud i don't i don't have all the answers i really do hope now that i live in germany that you know we can continue to to grow as a as a country in terms of development i feel like i'm part of that hockey development now having worked in it uh the past couple of years so and we're on our way you know but we i like like most athletes you can still be on your way you can be at the top of your game but you can still be learning and how to get better and i think that's what we've kind of just addressed here you know how we how we feel things could go what we would like to see happen and you know at the end of the day it's it's not up to us so two more uh two more questions for you because you're an agent so you're very busy um <laughs> obviously i think i know the answer to this one but uh when you look back on your career like 
did you ever imagine that starting in banking it would ever get you to where you are today? You know the answer, and the answer is obviously no. I mean, there are so many twists and and you know crossroads through your life and and also in business. I mean, I have done a lot of things, and uh, I have done a lot of cool things. I I really enjoy my like let's say my business career so far, but of course I never imagined to be in the in the sports business overall. It was always a dream because I was always a a. Yeah, I always wanted to be a pro athlete. I unfortunately never got the talent for it. Um, I was always working hard, but I, I didn't have the talent. And the business I do now gets me as close as possible to the emotions and the feelings only sports can create. Maybe love is the other field where you know you can get those emotions, but I would say sports overall can create emotions you can't have in your daily life. And being an agent means I'm not creating that emotions or having those emotions, but I'm getting as close as possible. There's a saying that for players, when they're done playing, they miss that feeling, the excitement, the adrenaline, uh, the family camaraderie of the, the team, the dressing room. And as an agent, I'm sure it's the same, going to games, watching your clients play, seeing them progress both as athletes and as humans. And, you know, I think they go hand in hand. And that's a feeling that one day, whenever you're retired and, and you're out of that side of it, you're going to look back and be thankful for those, those moments, those friendships, but also miss it because it, you know, as you said, it becomes part of you almost like when you fall in love, like it's, it's just that emotion that, you know, can only be triggered by, you know, so many things are at so many times. So I definitely understand what you are expressing there. And it doesn't mean you've had to have played the game for 20 years. Uh, just because you haven't played doesn't mean you don't have those feelings as well. And the last question I have for you here, kind of tied two of them together. Um, what, like, what are the biggest things you've learned on your your journey in the agency world? Like if you were talking to your younger self so peter meyer at 18 years old what are some things you've learned or some pieces of advice you would you would give your younger self that's uh that's a tough question i was actually thinking about that because in sports you know there are some of those websites uh the letter to your younger uh yourself or how you you call that um first of all never give up Whatever you do, um, try as hard as possible. I think that's very important. And when you're younger, you don't realize that so much. When you get older and, you know, when time goes by and when you see, okay, I missed probably this chance or I missed this opportunity, and you say, damn, you know, I should have tried harder. And, and this is something I would tell my younger, uh, my younger uh, me, try harder, never give up, be, be even more passionate about it. and. Uh, I think that's one thing. And the other thing is um, enjoy what you do. Um, sometimes we're a little bit, you know, too much in the tunnel of what we are doing. And, mm -hmm. and I hope most of the people love what they do, but they don't even realize how good our life is. I mean, um, talk to Ukrainian people. Um, you know, they have other problems than, than we have. Talk to many of those people all over the world we have a great life and everybody of us has hopefully a great life so 
enjoy your life, enjoy what you do, and and uh, but on the other side, never give up, work hard, and and fulfill your dreams. Some uh, little philosophy there, a little philosophizer, philosophizer, as the movie say. No, I I think it's a it's a very common theme, honestly. Like a lot of the guests I have on, that last question I ask everyone, and a lot of them are saying maybe not in the same words, but similar messages, you know, take pride in what you do, never give up and obviously enjoy the moment. Um, Countless times I've said that because the moment eventually ends and you'll look back being like, Oh, I wish I enjoyed it more. Or maybe when I was stressed out during this time, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. So I appreciate you, uh, you saying that. And I appreciate you taking the time out of your day. Uh, I've been trying to get you on a couple of weeks, but you've been busy running around. So I appreciate you sharing your story. Um, for anyone listening out there, you know, if you ever think about getting in the agency world uh, down the road, whether that's you know in the near future or maybe after playing, you know, these are things I think are important to know. Uh, and like everyone, not everyone's path is the same. Peter didn't play hockey, and now is one of the more successful agents, uh, you know, in Europe, especially in Germany. One, his name is very well known now, and you know. I think it shows a testament to his hard work, never giving up, as he said, just the resiliency and being persistent and, you know, trying to achieve his own goals, which yeah. uh, he clearly has done. So, Peter, appreciate you taking the time and I'm sure we'll be talking soon. Thanks. It was a pleasure. And uh, well, I really enjoyed uh, the conversation and, uh, and the call. And for those listening, uh, until next week, cheers and ciao.